So out in my garage, I have one of my wife's bowls. All right, This bowl is used for anything and everything. I call it my wet sanding bowl because it sits by, I love woodwork, and it sits by my lathe, and I use dip sandpaper in it so I can have, uh, have water in there, and it sands things smoother, it carries the grit away, makes less mess, makes your sandpaper last longer. That bowl ended up in my garage because my wife didn't want it anymore. It, I don't, and I don't even remember why. It's been there for two years, I think. But it was, it was not needed anymore in the kitchen, whether it had a chip or, you know, some burned or something on there, something nasty that, it, you know, it just wouldn't come off. Now, you could technically still eat out of that bowl. I wouldn't do it because I know what's been, I mean, paint thinner, I mean, you name it, it's been in that bowl. It's still a bowl, though. And I, I think that's kind of the feel of what Paul's getting at in this scripture today. He, he gives us this picture of what it's like to be a disciple. It, it's this vivid thing, and he used vessels or bowls, all right? And so he talks about, you know, the nice bowls, the, the china bowls that go in the cabinet that only come out, you know, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and, you know, all this, you know, when the queen comes, all that kind of stuff. I mean, this is, this is the bowls that's like the precious thing that, you know, I don't even, t- I won't set the table when we've got those bowls out, you know, that bowl. And he talks about, you know, there's normal bowls and then there's the garage bowls that nobody wants to eat out of. And Paul just comes at us with this this vivid picture and basically kind of asks the question, where do you want to end up? Are you the nasty garage bowl? So my wife said I couldn't use the poop bucket illustration from when I cleaned out the sewer this week, all right? So take it there if you want to, but but the garage bowl, all right? It, it, it's not that nice of a bowl. It's not, it's, I still use it. I mean, it's still a bowl, but you don't want to eat out of that thing. And so when we come to this text today, Paul's, Paul's giving us this picture. He's given us a word of caution, and he's talked about these leaders. Some of them have been, they've just been quarrelsome and contrary. Some have been teaching crazy stuff. Some of them have just been like going off into left field, talking about stuff that who knows what they're talking about? But he kind of broadens it a little bit. He, he talks about if anyone in this. And so, so I want to invite you into Second Timothy as we go through. And we're really looking at what does it mean to be a good disciple? That word, that word good is a word kind of we assign to it. It's just what does it mean to be a disciple? But it, it helps us in our minds because we've so lost the concept of what a disciple is. It, it's kind of, it, every disciple should be a good disciple. There shouldn't be any other kind of disciple. But even for Paul's listeners, Timothy, obviously that's who it was written to, but his church, it was, it was meant to be read to them. And, and we see that if anybody, is kind of the language here, if anybody wants this, Here's the picture of what it is to be a useful disciple. Not just the garage bowl, okay? But when we're useful to God. So I I want you to open up a scripture there. If if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black ones in there. 
Jeff always has the page number on there for us, 996. We we'll appreciate him doing that so much, but you can turn there. I want you to look along with me, and we're going to kind of read sections of this scripture again, and we're going to walk through what it means to be a useful disciple to the Father. So the first thing in this text, and if you're taking notes there, um, the picture of a useful disciple. So the first point, the picture of a useful disciple. It's, obvious, it's the bowls thing. It's the vessels thing. This is verses 20 and 21. And, and I want us, as we kind of get into this, and we're going to kind of break it down and talk a little bit about this passage, I want us to be careful. There's a lot of illustrations through the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, Jeremiah 18, Romans 9, Matthew 23, all these things about bowls and cleaning bowls, and uh, some bowls are for this, and God sculpts bowls. This is its own illustration. So we don't want to, like, mix in. Like, Jeremiah 18, it's about sovereignty of God. That's not what this illustration is talking about. So let's make sure we kind of focus in on this one. This is talking about a house, and you got all kinds of dishes. You got the good china and the everyday wear, and then the garage bowls. And, and this house is God's church. So I, I want you, I mean, in all seriousness, look around, all right? I mean, this is what we're talking about here. These are the bowls, it's us. And what God is about to tell us is how to be a useful bowl, how, how to be useful to God's kingdom. And so I, I want you to, in our minds, think about, I, I don't think there's anyone here, you, you, you wouldn't have come if you were just sitting there thinking, man, I don't want to be part of this church. This is miserable. I'm just here to, you know, watch all these up. You're here because you believe that God's placed you here. You're, you're here because God's brought you together. You're here because if you're a member, we have, we have covenanted together. We made a commitment that we believe God is working here. God's word is being proclaimed and that we're supposed to be here and be part of that. And so I'm going to come in here assuming that every single one of you, particularly members, but, but all of y'all here want to be useful to God. I mean, who, who wouldn't, right? And so this is, is God's direction, God's speaking of how to be useful. It, it kind of continues on what Pastor Joe preached last week, where Paul commanded Timothy to be a good disciple, and then he pointed out the bad disciples, those ones who were teaching and, and going off on the wrong side of things. And so we're going to see that pictured for us. So read with me again. 2 Timothy 2, we're going to read 20 and 21. It says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, in other words, the real nice stuff, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone, okay, again, all of us, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So from the get-go, this picture, can we all agree we want to be the useful bowl? That's who we want to be. So, so look at the requirement in this scripture for what the useful bowl is. It's not becoming, you know, going to speaker's class and becoming a better public speaker. It's not looking good, getting the right suit. It's not getting fit and losing weight. It's not being nice. It's not all these things. 
It's that God uses. The, the useful bowl is the bowl that looks like Jesus. It's the bowl that's made holy, that's cleansed. Those words are all really connected to each other. It's the bowl that reflects who God is in His very character. God wants to use people who reflect what He looks like. I mean, think all the way back to the garden. Do you remember when God created Adam and Eve? He said, let us, the the Trinity, let us make mankind in our image. We, We, from the very beginning, were to be a picture of who God is. Now, that doesn't mean he has a goatee and, you know, wears bow ties. It means that the character that's in each of us, the way we speak, the way we do relationships, the way we love, is to reflect who God is. This is the picture of a good disciple. It's a clean, good, nice bowl. You don't want to eat out of the garage bowl. You want to eat the nice, clean bowls that just came out of the dishwasher. And this is what Paul is saying to us. If everything's messed up inside, you're not going to be useful to God. Think about it like this. Let me give you just another little picture. We all love cute babies, right? I was down here watching the crows cutie. I mean, just adorable, you know, cheeks. My, my kids didn't have cheeks. You know, they didn't have the chub, all right? I, I missed that part, so I love that. They giggle and they coo, and we all love it. But not one of us would go down to the nursery and ask one of those babies to help, our, help us fix our car that won't start, right? It's, they're not useful for that. Okay, they're cute, they're cuddly, not that useful as a mechanic. But we would really quick to go looking around for Steve or Scott or, you know, Corey or something. One of these guys who's spent years and they know cars inside and out. They've worked really hard and they've learned it. It's not that the babies are bad. It's that when we want somebody to fix our car, we want somebody who's put the work in to know how to fix a car, Right? We want somebody who's grown up. We don't just want to stay babies forever, right? As cute as those babies are, we don't want them to stay that way. If they stayed that way, that wouldn't be a good thing. But but here's the problem. Some of you in this congregation have been born again. You, You have trusted Christ, whatever word you want to use. You have trusted Jesus as your Savior. You have faith. You have new life. You have been resurrected on the inside. And the Bible calls that being a babe in Christ. And that's an awesome thing. When we have somebody walk through our horse trough and, and they, get, they get baptized, they are a new believer in Christ, it is the best thing in the world. But they don't preach the next week, right? Because they're, they're growing, they're learning. They're learning to follow Christ like a baby. But, but again, here's the issue. Some of us in here did that 40 years ago. And you're still acting like a baby. Now, if any of those babies in the nursery went 40 years and still was acting like a baby, you're either really weird or something seriously wrong health-wise, right? But, but we're full, we're surrounded, and we can see this. And, and some of us, I hope we can see this in ourselves. That's what we are spiritually. 
And so there's either something really unhealthy in us or something really weird. So let's address this. Let's just, as Paul told us, as God's Word said, let's cleanse ourselves. Read verse 21 for me again. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. And this next one says the same thing. Set apart as holy. Really, they're saying the same. Cleanses himself, set apart as holy, the same thing. Useful to the master of the house. Ready for every good work. That's the picture. It's not this magic thing. You've got to go to seminary. You've got to study this. You've got to do this major course that's, that's you know, going to change. Some of y'all may need to do some of that. Don't get me wrong. But there's a holiness that is expected of Christ's disciples. Remember what a disciple means? Joe's gone over this a couple times. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. We're learning to be like Jesus. And so if we don't look like Jesus, there's something wrong. That's the picture of a good disciple. So here's the good news for us today. Paul not only pictures what it's like to be a useful disciple, but he tells us how to do it. There are not too many how-tos in Scripture. Here's the how-to, all right? So then second point here, the next part of this passage, is the practice of a useful disciple. The practice of a useful disciple. So look with me again in the Scriptures. Uh, in verse, actually, before we do that, verse 22 through 25 is where we're going to go. But I just want to make sure this, this is really clear. This is what we do after Christ has saved us after he has given us new life or regenerated us. This passage is about growing in Christ. So to grow in Christ, you would first have to be in Christ. Okay. So if you're here just exploring the claims of Christianity today, please know we are grateful you're here. This part of the sermon is not to you. This part of the sermon is to all of us hypocrites sitting around you, okay? And I mean that genuinely. We want to be like Christ, but we're not there yet. And so Christ saves someone by giving them new life inside, and they express that in faith and repentance so that they're trusting Christ, that his death, burial, and resurrection saved them from their sins, all the things that we have done that disobey God or go against God's will or rebel against God. So so we have this rebellious nature against him. He sent his son to die for our sins. He rose again. And now we can trust him. And we're then in Christ. So then we can grow in Christ. So God does that. God does the saving. But this this growing in Christ, we can kind of get mixed up on. And so here's, here's... let, let me see if I can illustrate it again. We, we don't know what to do in the church with effort and work. Like we know to go with jobs. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual work. We know God is a gracious God who saves. And we know God is still working and changing us from the inside out. And we know we ought to do certain things. But we don't know how those like come together. Does that make sense? 
Let me put it like this. Let's go back to the baby, all right? Babies are born. Do they have anything to do with being born? No, they're just born. Moms have a lot to do with it, right? And, and dads, you know, have sore hands from getting squeezed, all right? And so, <laughs> you, you too, huh? All right? I, I learned that one quick. The very beginning of labor. Ooh, be careful who, whose hand you give it to, all right? So, the baby's not the one doing the work. The mom is, right? We know that. That just comes natural. That's salvation. God gives new life. But that little baby, let's say the baby hits five years old, going to kindergarten. Do we expect that baby to have to put forth, now kindergartner, to have to put forth some effort to learn to read? What about getting to high school? Some of y'all just experienced that joy, all right? Did you have to work? Right? It's a lot of work. We wouldn't expect a baby to be educated with no effort on their own. That takes the effort of a lot of other people, right? Teachers and parents, you know, the, the, the mom sitting over, all right, you are going to do that homework. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. This is where things marry together. God saves. He gives new life. But after that, in the growth process, God is working and changing us. But at the same time, we are to be working and seeking His face and killing sin in our lives, pursuing righteousness. This is what the Scripture is about today. It's going to talk to you about your part, the effort that we're to put forth. So read with me now. 2 Timothy, we're going to start in verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So every one of those little pieces in there, that could be a sermon in and of itself. But today we're, gonna, we're kind of going to do the big summary here. So I've kind of broken this down into just a few pieces, and we're going we're gonna to pick this apart and make sure we don't miss things. The first one, flee sin. Flee sin. Obviously what that comes from from the very beginning. Flee youthful passions. So youthful passions here, we're not talking about dreaming about being an astronaut or an engineer or whatever it might be. But that tendency we see, particularly with younger folks, to lose impulse control, to run after sexual desires, money, fame, substances, whatever it might be. We, we know what that looks like. Sad thing is, some of us who are 40, 50, 60, we act the exact same way. We're not fighting our sin, but we're, we're bathing in it. This passage probably looks back to Joseph of the Old Testament. If, if you've heard that story before, Joseph is a slave in another country. And the mistress of the house is trying to seduce him. And she finally corners him. 
puts on the full press with her seduction, and he literally runs out. It talks about her grabbing his clothes, and he's running so hard he rips the clothes off and just takes off. That's the picture Paul gives us in this flee youthful passions. Don't see how close to the edge you can get without falling off. We just, my wife and I just got back from Yosemite National Park. Amazing, amazing place. Um, there's this place called Glacier Point there. One of the most gorgeous vistas. I, I, I don't know that I'll ever see a prettier one in my life. Spectacular. And there's this nice guardrail. It's metal. It's yellow. You cannot miss this thing. And it keeps you from falling off like a 3,000-foot cliff. I'm not speaking figuratively. It's about a 3,000-foot cliff. And then you see all these doofuses running around the rail trying to get a selfie. I'm like, yeah, that's why we get reports of people dying at Yosemite. That's what we do with sin. How how close can I get and it not be sin? And before you know, we've fallen to our death. The Bible says, flee sin. Flee sin. But not do we just flee sin. I was talking about this with some of the folks um, out there. We don't just flee sin. We also pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Y'all remember Galatians 5? I know some of y'all have heard this. It's you know, a cute song with the kids. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut, all that kind of stuff. But listen to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It sounds a lot like this passage, but I want to contrast them here in just a second. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But now look back here, in the middle of 22. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You see lots of similar words, right? Characteristics of what we would call a godly person. They're righteous, they're, they're holy, they're faithful, they're true, they're trustworthy, they're loving. But do you catch the difference between Galatians 5 and 2 Timothy 2 here? In 2 Timothy 2, it says the fruit of the Spirit is. So who's working there? Y- y'all get to talk. The f- who's working there? The fruit of the Spirit is. Who's working the Spirit. But look at the same words being prescribed and look at the verb here in verse 22. Pursue. This is talking to us. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Who's working here? Us. Do you see this dual thing? God's working, we're working. God's working, we're working. It's coming together. And so today, I want to challenge you, maybe for the first time ever, or maybe some of you, when you retired from your job, you retired from your faith. Or when you finished school, you finished learning to follow Christ. I want to persuade you today to pursue Christ. Go after him and go after the character qualities that are in Jesus. Pursue righteousness. Go after it. Chase it. 
In the same way we flee from sin, we chase what it means to be like Christ. That's effort. I don't like to run. Some of y'all know that. All right? This, this is work. And we're to do it. So pursue these things. All right? The next thing I want to pull out of this, again, at the end of verse 22, don't do this alone. This is clear, overt reference to church here. Okay? Let, let, me, let me just define what I'm kind of saying this when I mean don't do this alone. I'm talking about everybody here. We're to do this together. Listen, listen to what it says in verse 22. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We love the movies, the band of brothers, the, the, that kind of motif of you know, this group of men or women who are out there and they're on the mission, whatever it might be, whether it's military or something else, and they're working together. And I mean, these guys get close because of what they've been through. It's my prayer for our congregation that there'll be little pockets of bands of brothers, brands of sisters here, bands of couples who've been through the hell of war against sin together. And we've loved each other and helped each other and confronted each other through it all. Don't do this alone. Christianity is not a solo sport. You're meant to do this together. So don't hide. When we come together and we go out in public, we put our nice shirts on. We don't use the dirty, clean, the dirty clothes to come. You know, not, I'm not talking just church. Go, go anywhere you want to go. We dress up nice, put on our best, you know, perfume or cologne, whatever it is. We hide the flaws church is to be a place where the curtain gets drawn back and let your brothers and sisters see your flaws and you let them help you with them that's hard to do but folks we got to do this together all right last thing in this we need to learn to speak well to those outside of christianity and with those whom we disagree so y'all, y'all can probably see where I'm coming through. It's the rest of this, starting verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. We need to learn how to talk to others. This is a lost art, not just here. I'm talking as American society right now. It's either we agree or you're a terrible, evil person and I don't ever want to see you again. That's, that's not the options we need to have as Christians. We need to be able to say, I disagree with you on the most fundamental, essential, eternal thing in the world, in the universe, and that's Christ. But I still love you and I still care about you. I'm still going to speak kindly to you. So just some thoughts on this. Number one, don't be a jerk. Okay, I, I love y'all. Sometimes we as pastors have to say gentle little things like, stop being jerks. Okay, I, I, sometimes we just let our 
anger, our frustrations, our craziness out. We've got to develop the self-control. Again, fruit of the Spirit, to not do that. We need to be kind. Do you catch all these words in here? Kind, patient. This especially applies on social media. We really need to watch how we act on there. Our church covenant says it this way. It's a little nicer than don't be a jerk, okay? Our church covenant says it like this. To walk with discernment and respect in the world. Being just in our dealings. Faithful in our engagements. And exemplary in our actions. Can I read that to you all again? We've committed to this. So If you're not a member of this church, this is something we commit to. We fail at all the time, but we want to get there. We want to strive to this. To walk with discernment and respect in the world, being just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our actions. So we need to be careful. We need to do that. All right. Second way, don't engage in things that don't matter. Just because someone posted it, just because somebody said it in the area, doesn't mean we have to engage there are times to engage please don't hear me wrong but there's some things that are just too dumb to be worth our effort um there's a very famous argument that happened that that a theologian named anselm separated himself from the mainstream of the catholic church because he tried to get pulled into an argument that had been going on for 30 years catch this 30 years. The argument, you ready? How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? People spent time trying to figure that out. Thank you, bud. I appreciate that. See, done, answered, go on. This is why it was called the Dark Ages. They argued about stuff like that. This is what was going on in the church. This is what the sermons were about. This is what people were trying to talk about and passing it off as deep and serious Christianity. We need to not waste our time on things like that. Matthew 7, 6. This is Jesus talking. All right? It's blunt. So we're not usually used to Jesus being really blunt. He was really blunt a lot. He said it like this. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and then turn and attack you be careful sometimes just don't engage next suffering is a part of being a good witness we've talked about this before we'll talk about it again there's other scriptures that are more focused on this but don't miss what paul says he says patiently enduring evil i don't like doing that i don't know that anybody does sometimes we need to take one on the cheek and not fight back we just take it that's great advice for your marriage that's great advice for parenting but that's essential advice that's essential ways when we gauge with others who don't believe the same thing we are at times People are just going to say nasty things. And we don't say nasty things back. We need to care more about winning the person than winning that particular argument or exchange. 
Sometimes it's our grace that wins the day, not our words. We need to be really careful. Finally, in this part, we need to learn to speak about Jesus reasonably. Do you see all these things? I mean, that's kind of the character part. But then it's not that Paul just said, well, then go say whatever you want to. Read it again. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. Now, specifically, he's talking to Timothy, who's a pastor. There's different requirements on that for most people than pastor and elders. But you need to be able to talk about Jesus in a reasonable and understandable manner. Patiently enduring evil. Look at the next part in verse 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. We need to understand what someone's saying and then be able to say, no, Scripture presents it this way. That's a skill. That takes work. That takes reading. Um, Chad and I were speaking and thinking through how can we help a particular member of our church who just big heart. But sometimes I'm like, oh, don't say that. Biggest heart in the world. And we were looking at it. So what, what books can we help? Because the heart's there, but they haven't put the work in to learn how to speak well. To know what to say. Some of y'all need to grab some of those books off the back. And, and put some work in. You wouldn't, again, well, let's go back to the guys with cars. We wouldn't expect a mechanic to just magically know how a car works. We'd expect them to go to school or work with their dad and learn how to do it. And we'd expect them to have done it a whole bunch before they work on our car, right? Some of us need to put some work in and learn. Put some work in and pursue holiness. So Paul pictures a useful disciple. Then he shows us the practice of a useful disciple. And that's hard. (laughs) This is not the fun, everything's awesome. You know, it's not easy. This is a hard thing. But what Paul does at the end of this passage is he gives us some encouragement. He not only gives us the picture, he not only gives us the practice, he talks about the fruit. What can God do with a useful disciple? What happens when God uses folks like us, not perfect? I wasn't kidding about the hypocrite thing. The more I go, the more I teach God's word, the more I realize I don't live up to it. I want to, and I strive to. But God talks about what happens when he uses somebody like you or me. So let's listen to the end of this. I'm going to start right in the middle there of 25. God may perhaps grant them. In other words, non-believers, people out there, or maybe people who, who have some bad ideas about who Jesus is. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Listen, this is an encouraging word. God uses people. The almighty creator God uses folks like me and you. This 
This is a good word, folks. When you're discouraged because you've been praying for that person to trust Christ for years, decades, keep in there. God snatches people out of the snare of the devil. And he uses folks like us to do it. When that co-worker at work, you just think, there is no way in the world they will ever listen to anything. You know what God does? He frees people from being captured by the devil to do his will. That's what God does. It's not a pie in the sky, everything's going to be awesome promise. He says some. This is not every time. This is not, oh, I shared my faith one time, so God, why didn't you save them? He saves some. But he does save people. He does save the people that often we think he never could. People like me and you. Let's not forget. We were those people that somebody thought, God could never save that one. And yet here we stand. Not as testament to how good we are, but how good he is. We're going to pray. We're going to start moving toward a time of taking the Lord's Supper. Our deacons are going to come hand that out here in just a moment. But I want each of us to think through as, as, as you're putting away your Bible, your, your notes, whatever you might have. I want us to think through and see ourselves in this passage. For some of you, maybe you've came, somebody invited you, you just saw an ad on Facebook, who knows. You came today, and maybe you've seen yourself in that last bit of the passage. Wait, wait, I am the one who's not there yet. I'm so grateful you're here. Again, come. But let me encourage you, if you know that's you, and you've maybe thought through this as we talked about in Christ and not in Christ, that you don't need to worry about growing yet because you're not there, would you talk to someone you came with? Would you talk to one of our elders? I'll be around, Joe will be around. Would you just grab us? Let's see some our deacons, our servants. They, they do the work around here. Come up, talk to one of them. Find out how to trust Christ. Do that today. Don't wait. Start a great journey. Not an easy journey, but a great journey. Of knowing the God of the universe as a friend. Maybe that's some of you. But most of us here, we've trusted Christ. And I want you to look. What specific sin do you need to flee? Do you need to repent of and flee? Be, be specific right now. Think through this. And as the elements are being passed, meditate on these things. Think through, God, what are you convicting me about? Not your spouse. What specific fruit of the Spirit do you need to pursue? Maybe two or three that you know, I need to pursue this. I need to get a book on this. I need to read scriptures on this. What do you need to pursue? 
what Bible passage do you need to memorize so that you're ready to talk to that person? Maybe you need to just get to know your Bible a little better where you can quickly get to a passage. Even if you don't have it memorized, you can get there quick when someone says, I'm hurting. When someone says, I don't understand. What about suffering? Maybe you need to just get a little familiar with the Bible. Put some work in and do that. Our pastors and elders would love to help you with that. Right now, I want us to just think and reflect. But here's the good news. And some of us may feel like crud after this because we know the sins that are in us. We know we're not the, we're the garage bull. That's us. Dirty, I mean, we know it. But here's the beauty. And here's why I'm so grateful we're coming to the Lord's table today. This, this is the picture. This is another picture. We've got lots of pictures today. The cup and the bread. It's Jesus' body. It's a picture. It's, it's not magic. It's juice and a cracker. But it's this picture that we take in. That we are repenting and turning to Christ. And He has saved. And He will continue that saving. As long as we're on this earth. That He forgives. So maybe you feel like you're the garage bull. That doesn't have to stay. Get the passage. Get the feel of the passage. Paul says, do this. Become the holy, clean bowl. And we know from other passages, passages like Galatians 5, God's Spirit's working in this too, that you're not alone. But repent. Receive the Lord's Supper and remember the forgiveness He gives. You don't have to feel guilty about the past. He forgives it. We should be convicted about it, not want to be the same. But this is that picture that he forgives and we can go forward. So our deacons come forward, let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for your picture of the Lord's Supper. The body. Your body that was hung on a tree. You died for us. Your blood that was shed through the crown of thorns and the whippings and the beatings and the brutal nails. Lord, this gruesomeness that this is reminds us of how gruesome our sin against you is. But then, Jesus, that we come to this as a, as a symbolic meal, that we eat a time of joy, a time of fellowship, time of unity reminds us that that gruesomeness was necessary but now we can know and love and enjoy you Jesus that you are working and drawing us to yourself God I pray that you would cleanse us and make us holy and useful to your kingdom Lord, I pray for any 
friends here who are considering the, cons- the claims of you, that you would save them, Lord. Help them to be willing to speak to somebody about that, even today. Lord, may we know your forgiveness and your joy as we are reminded by this picture. We thank you for giving us this picture. But we thank you even more, God, for giving us your Son. We praise you, Jesus, for loving us this much. It's because of you we pray. Amen.